0: Warm greetings to all our brethren and family and friends around the world, and welcome to all our guests. We have Mr. and Mrs. Peter Nathan here today from the uh, United Kingdom, so uh, as the Regional Director I hope you get to meet him and welcome all our guests as well. Uh, today is Veterans Day, uh, previously known as Armistice Day, and it's known as Remembrance Day. Uh, Mr. Weston referred to this last, uh, last night, or when we saw it last night, in this uh, video update. It celebrates the end of World War I, when the Armistice was signed on the 11th hour, the 11th uh, day, and the 11th month. Uh, the British author H.G. Wells referred to it as, the war that will end all war, or the war that will end war period. Well, we know that it didn't end all war, and we know that the war that will end all war will be the Armageddon, as it's called, Revelation 16, 14, the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And faithful Christians who are married to Christ will celebrate in that victory that will end all wars. I hope that you'll be looking forward to our marriage to Christ at his second coming. So the title of the sermon today is Marriage of the Lamb. When we see the marriage of a young man and young woman, we we find it's a very joyous occasion. And here in Charlotte, we've had uh, three uh, lovely weddings in 2023, and uh, many of our Charlotte brethren have had... uh, family, and weddings uh, other parts of the country in 2023. So, what was the first miracle that Jesus performed? If you turn to John, the third chapter, uh, you realize, as uh, John, the second chapter, you realize, what was that miracle? It was a joyous occasion. And uh, John 2, verse 1, on the third day, there was a wedding, in Cana of Galilee, and the Lord Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So they ran out of wine, and you know, they had (laughs) a lot of wine there. Uh, Verse six, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So that's 120 or 180 ga- gallons of wine. That must have been a huge, huge uh, wedding. But notice that it, that Christ manifested his glory. That was the first miracle. They said the manager of the feast, the governor of the feast said, you have kept the good wine until now, the end of uh, verse 10. Verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So we know that weddings can be a very joyous time and a very happy time for all of us, and we are preparing for the greatest wedding in all history. And when will that take place, and how will it take place, and who will be in that wedding? We'll talk about that today in the sermon. Turn to Revelation 19 and verse 6. Revelation 19... And verse 6. Revelation 19, verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Yes, he's all-powerful. And Mr. Armstrong, the greatest fact in the universe is God rules Supreme. He reigns supreme. He's all powerful. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. How does that affect you and me? And his wife has made herself ready. Who is the wife? It's the church of God and all of the saints throughout all history, all the way starting from uh, Abel and uh, Enoch and Elijah and all the saints of the past. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness acts of the saints. The angels of heaven will be rejoicing at that particular moment. And an important point in verse 7, the, the wife has made herself ready. Some churches of God have said that is their primary mission, to prepare the bride. But they don't know really how to prepare the bride. Can you prepare the bride by ignoring the great commission that Christ gave the church? Of course not. And yet, that is a key to our preparation, as we'll see later on. Mr. Weston addressed that issue in uh, Living Church News, in an article titled Preparing the Bride, and that's uh, July, August 20, uh, 2006. So if you haven't read that article, you can go to members.lcg.org and put in the, uh, the, uh, the search bar, Preparing the Bride. So today's sermon, we'll discuss our preparation for the wedding our spiritual relationship to our future husband, who and who will be the bride of Christ, and how God's plan are part of the very bride's character, and when and where will the wedding take place. And, of course, that includes the prophetic sequence of events and our future in God's family. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, then he will marry the church, his body. So we will have to have an intimate relationship with him now, and we will have an intimate relationship with him if we are in the kingdom forever. Because during the millennium, we'll be serving him and be serving billions, millions, and perhaps billions of people, and helping them come into the family, the royal family of God. Well, first of all, I want to talk about our relationship with Christ. If we are the bride, what is our relationship? How would you describe your relationship to Him? I think, first of all, you might think of the Passover. We just saw four characteristics of a true Christian. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, for Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. I hope that's one of the key elements of Christ's relationship with you and that you have with him. He is the Passover lamb. In the book of Revelation, his identity as the lamb is mentioned 26 times. So at the end, very end of God's plan, the sacrifice of Christ as the lamb of God will always be remembered. I might uh, suggest it to you before, you might do a a Bible study and uh, search for all 26 places where the name Lamb appears in the book of Revelation. There is one other mention of Lamb, but that's the false prophet that is mentioned in addition to the 26 mentions of Christ. John the Baptist came by and he said in John 1 verse 29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the fact of Christ's sacrifice, His role as the Lamb of God will always be remembered. And you realize, yes, we have been redeemed from the death of Christ. As it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Might turn to 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, 1 Corinthians 6. Here's a very key verse to identify your relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 6. In verse 20, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So you belong to Christ. He owns you. And we call him Master. We call him Lord. And even you children understand that, yes, He is your master, Jesus is your Lord. And you want to course try to apply the seven laws of success and the seventh law is what? Continuous contact with Almighty God and Christ will help you and guide you and help you to have good success in life. But you are bought with a price. I told you the story before but back in 1965 when I was uh, first pastoring churches (coughs) We had a lady who was dying of cancer, and uh, she was—I uh, wouldn't say the, the most cooperative wife to her husband—but the church was very loving. I think we had about thirty women who tried to help her and and uh, all her needs. She was dying. I felt that I needed to talk to her because she she didn't even shed a tear in all of her pain and suffering, and I tried to encourage her i wanted to help her to be ready for the kingdom and i talked to her but one of the characteristics was a little boldness she was not that cooperative with her husband but before she died she called him over to the bed and had her had him sit, have her sit up full facing him and she said i belong to you and that has touched me so much when I think of what our relationship with, with Christ. Have you ever said to Christ, I belong to you? Because he's bought and paid for you. We just read in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20. Colossians 3 and verse 4 tells us another aspect of our relationship with Christ. And it's one of my favorite verses, I think, or Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. So he is our life. And I have here Galatians 2, verse 20, which we just saw in Mr. Weston's telecast, that Christ must live his life in him, and it says, who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We have here, of course, the relationships of husbands and wives, their responsibilities. Ephesians, the fifth chapter. We'll start with uh, verse 21. Giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. So not only do wives submit to their husbands, but husbands submit to their wives as well, submitting one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to yourselves unto your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. So here we find not only the physical relationships of husbands and wives, but we find the spiritual relationship of Christ in the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, verse 25, and gave himself for her. And so we always have that appreciation, that deep gratitude, and we remember that at the Passover service. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. And we're hearing that word in the telecasts, in the publications, in the sermons, sermonettes that he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that she should be holy and without blemish. So we realize here it says he might present her to himself. So we look forward to as the very church, the body of Christ, preparing ourselves for the marriage of the Lamb. And he continues to say that I verse 32, this is great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we hear, we've seen the, the relationship of ourselves to Christ. How do you describe your relationship to Christ? We belong to him. He's paid for us and, again, he demonstrated his love towards us. We have the book, of course, on uh, God's plan for happy marriage. And uh, we have many articles, Tomorrow's World magazine article, for example, Seven Secrets for a Joyous Marriage. And, uh, of course, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God the Father and Christ. Demonstrate love, and they are love, 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse 16. God is love. And that's what we must become as well in preparing to be the bride of Christ. And be sure to read Mr. Weston's booklet, John three sixteen, Hidden Truths of the Golden Verse, if you've not seen that yet. So when we think of our king, our master, our lord, our savior, what other... Titles does he have that you connect with that you identify with? he is the savior of the world that's one that I think is one of the most important titles of his many many different titles. Remember the woman at the Samaritan well that that she was very impressed with him. But when the people of Samaria heard him in john four forty two they said because of what you said woman for we ourselves heard him and we know that this indeed is the christ the savior of the world Uh, first john 1 verse 14 also uh, first john 4 verse 14 also mentioned christ as the savior of the world turn to john the 17th chapter john 17 and continuing with our relationship with christ And uh, we read this at the Passover every year, John 17, uh, starting with uh, verse 20. John 17 and verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which you have, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one as we are one. It's an all credible statement, and I might just insert here briefly, uh, When we talk about the wedding supper and where the wedding will take place, that some people do not have the concept and don't believe what we just read, that we are to be one as God the Father and Christ are one, one with them. In other words, they're saying we cannot see, we cannot go to heaven to see God the Father until a thousand years have passed and the white throne judgment has passed and then finally God the Father comes down to the earth of the new Jerusalem then we'll finally see him <laughs> that, that's a belief that some in the churches of God hold it's a error wrong belief and they do not see that they can be one with Christ and one with God the Father this is an awesome truth that God has given us what an awesome relationship he gives us So what we've just discussed, we've seen some aspects of our relationship with Christ and that we need to have an intimate relation with Him and of course with God the Father. The next question is when will the wedding take place? Well, we need to understand the sequence of of prophetic events and I think most of you know that but we repeat it time and time again in our booklets, the telecasts and in the publications We have the three-and-a-half years before the return of Christ. What are the three-and-a-half years? Two-and-a-half years of the Great Tribulation, followed by the heavenly signs, you read in Revelation, the sixth chapter, following by the day of the Lamb's wrath, or the day of the Lord, that's also mentioned there in Revelation, the sixth chapter, but it is a one-year day of the lord and we rehearse that on the feast of trumpets showing that yes the feast of trumpets demonstrates seven trumpet plagues for it take place over one year time and the seventh trumpet finally takes place on the we say on the feast of trumpets as well so that's the sequence of events that basically takes place some church of god groups teach that the seventh trumpet takes place on Pentecost. And that the seventh trumpet, then, would take place uh, on uh, on Pentecost. That is because, because that's when the resurrection takes place, at the seventh trumpet. The saints are in heaven from Pentecost, according to their teaching for the wedding, until trumpets in Armageddon, just before atonement. For by that belief, uh, the seven last plagues would uh, last for three and, ha- a half, uh, three and a half months for this year, from May 20, uh, 28th, Pentecost, to uh, Trumpets, uh, September 16th. <laughs> no human being would be, be left alive if you followed that sequence, if you follow that scenario. As uh, Mr. Weston writes in page 38 of the uh, revelation unveiled at last. In Revelation 15, John records a vision of seven angels with seven golden bowls that pour out seven final plagues one after another. This pouring occurs rather quickly as we see when we examine the nature of the plagues. If the second and third plagues, for instance, lasted more than a few days, All life would perish from the planet. So you realize that that scenario of a Pentecost wedding of Christ or the resurrection of the last trumpet is in error. Uh, Life would not last for three and a half years. You have polluted water. How long are you going to live after that? So you just have the the nine days between trumpets and atonement. We'll talk about that a little later. Now the nine days between trumpets and atonement. You know more of the details. We have the uh, wonderful article by Mr. Wallace Smith in the Living Church News, September-October, uh, 2018, from trumpets to atonement. Give you all the details of what takes place in that nine days uh, leading up to uh, Christ's return at Armageddon, as we'll see later in Revelation the 19th chapter. Mr. Smith writes in that article, From Trumpets to Atonement, the nations have not yet gathered at Megiddo to proceed to Jerusalem and fight the armies of Christ. The marriage of a lamb has not yet taken place when the seventh trumpet sounds. The beast and the false prophet are still alive. Their kingdom has not been destroyed, and the devil is not yet locked away for a thousand years. These events are part of the return of Jesus Christ as well. Where are they in prophetic sequence? And he has another section here, which just is basically an aside, but I was just impressed by it. It's a subhead, a bride to wed and a pretender to banish. Quote, for Christ is not to reign alone, but with his wife by his side. I just just like that expression. For Christ is not to reign alone, but with his wife by his side. While the rebellious and unrepentant are experiencing their just due, Revelation 16 6, the saints of God are experiencing their reward as well, and the marriage of the Lamb. So when are the wedding will take place? Well, take 1 Corinthians the 50th chapter and verse 50. You, you know when that resurrection takes place. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And so we presume that that will be on the, the feast of trumpets, the last trumpet of the seven. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immor- immor- immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. That an awesome, wonderful part of God's plan. So we are resurrected in the first general; those who are faithful Christians are resurrected in the first general resurrection, which takes place the Feast of Trumpets at the last trumpet. So we meet Christ in the air, and where we will go from there, it tells us in 1 the Thessalonians the fourth, fourth chapter. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. We meet Christ in the clouds. And he says, we shall ever be with the Lord, but it doesn't say well, we come back down to earth when we meet Christ in the air. So we'll talk about that a little later here, but when will the wedding take place? After the last trumpet. The Feast of Trumpets contains the seven trumpets during the one-year day of the Lord. And then, of course, Revelation eleven fifteen. That's so... You know, hope you have that marked in your Bible, uh, one of the most encouraging good news announcements ever in all the history of the world. Revelation 11:15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the awesome announcement. Of course, there is a transition period because they have the seven last plagues coming after that announcement, and then Armageddon, and finally a transition period through the beginning of the millennium, where you have the second exodus, and where you have nations such as Egypt that have to learn to uh, keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We read in Zechariah 12th, the 14th chapter, and yet the Christ will, of course, fulfill the second half of his seven-year ministry when he returns and uh, set up the new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, as it mentions in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, and Jeremiah 31. So Christ has still three and a half years of his ministry, mentioned in John 9, uh, the ninth chapter, 24 through uh, 27, verse 27. So we look forward to the time when the wedding will take place after the seventh trumpet when we are resurrected. Who is going to be in that resurrection? I already mentioned it, but I'll just take a look at one of the encouraging words of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Who is going to be in the first resurrection and, of course, be the ride of Christ? Hebrews 11 and verse 13. It already mentioned, Uh, Noah mentioned uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly they seek, a homeland. And truly, if they had been called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them God, for he has prepared a city for them. And of course, that city is uh, the new Jerusalem, which we'll talk about a little later. So, We'll be joined by true Christians, and when I say we, I presume that all of us, if we're faithful, are going to be in that first resurrection. We will be joined by thousands of men and women of faith, including Abel and Enoch, Noah, Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Elijah, King David and the Twelve Apostles, and our modern men and women of faith, including Herbert Armstrong and Loma Armstrong. Carl McNair, John O'Gwin, Rod King, Rod Meredith, Debar Party, and, and many others. I hesitate to mention too many names. I'll omit some of our, our favorite uh, men and women of faith. But we we'll look forward to that time. So you realize, yes, it's not only, when we think of the bride of Christ, it's not just us in this day and age. It those all the way from the time of Abel to, to now. And realize how many thousands will be joining us in that great resurrection. The next question is when where will the wedding take place? I mentioned First Thessalonians four and verse fifteen. Well start with verse seventeen. First Thessalonians four, verse seventeen. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. It doesn't say where we go from there. We meet the Lord in the air. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words because we shall always be with the Lord from that time on. But the answer is given in Revelation 15 verse 2. So, where will the wedding take place? Revelation 15 and verse two. Yeah, let start with verse one. Then I saw another sign, where? In heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Verse two, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingle with fire and those who have the victory over the beast over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing, where? On the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So they are on the sea of glass, and they are overcomers. We saw on the telecast one well, the characteristics of a true Christian. it must be overcomers. So they have gained the victory, and they're standing on the sea of glass. Some say, oh, well, that's the portable throne of God. Well, because, of course, in Ezekiel, there's Ezekiel, the first chapter. You have this description of a a portable throne. And also in Exodus, the 24th chapter, you have uh, the Lord of the Old Testament, the Yahweh, uh, meeting with the elders and uh, actually having a meal. And they saw him. But that was not the sea of glass that's talked about. Revelation, the fourth chapter, describes the sea of glass and what is about God's throne. Twenty-four elders, the living creatures. And so when you find in the context of the saints being with Christ, where are they? They are in the heavenly setting where... There are the elders. We'll see that uh, here a little later. So you need to mark that in your scripture. So where is the sea of glass? Well, let's turn to Revelation 14 and uh, verse 1. So it's the sea of glass. I already refer you to Revelation 4, which describes the sea of glass before God's throne. Revelation 14 And we'll start in verse 1. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked and beheld a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpers playing harps, They sung as it were a new song, where? Before the throne. So here are the resurrected saints, those who are in the first general resurrection. And where are they? They are before the throne and before, not a portable throne, but before the living, four living creatures and the elders, which are not on a portable throne, but in the heavenly throne before God. And no one could uh, learn the song except the 144,000 were redeemed from the earth. They're no longer physical human beings. These are the ones who had not defiled with women, that is speaking spiritually, for they are virgins. Converted Christians become spiritual virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are, without, uh, they are without fault before the throne of God. So now, the wedding takes place on a sea of glass, and uh, there are the, the throne of God with the uh, meeting with God the Father. As we already saw Jesus' prayer in John, the 17th chapter, that he prayed that they could be one with us. So we will see him face to face. In fact, I think Rod McNair wrote an article on uh, Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, Seek God's Faith. and There are several scriptures along that line. So, where will the wedding take place? On the sea of glass. The saints will stand before God's throne. The 24 elders are there. They are present only in heaven, nowhere else. So I hope you read Dr. Meredith's powerful article because for some of uh, our new people, some of this may be new, and some of our old uh, other church uh, God uh, people say, oh, you can't go to heaven. So this is uh, a, a stumbling block for them and uh, it may be new for some others that are here as well. So I will just want to mention where the genesis of uh, our doctrinal uh, teaching came from and the Council of Elders discussed this uh, back in 2012. Uh, Dr. Meredith wrote the article summarizing the Council of Elders' discussion on this issue. Is it wrong to grow in knowledge? And that's the March-April 2012 Living Church News. Uh, That article, um, actually we have an article on the Saints Will Stand Before God's Throne in Heaven. Uh, That's reprint number 144. So if some of you still need to study into that, uh, just request from our headquarters, uh, reprint number 144. Dr. Meredith writes in the article, Is it Wrong to Grow in Knowledge? Even now, brethren... Our Council of Elders is discussing a few technical points that Mr. Armstrong could not have uh, humanly anticipated considering that he died in 1986 before certain prophecies had begun to be fulfilled. For instance, some of you have already heard Mr. Ames and me refer to the sequence of events leading up to the wedding supper. We all agree, as Scripture teaches and as Mr. Armstrong plainly taught, that our reward as Christians is not heaven. After the resurrection, we are to be kings and priests on the earth for a thousand years. Before God the Father comes to the earth with the new Jerusalem. But does that mean that we cannot go wherever Jesus takes us? Of course not. Revelation 14.4 shows that the 144,000, quote, go where he goes, end of quote. So when we look at all the biblical evidence, can we say that it is wrong to understand that the wedding of the Lamb may take place in heaven before we rule under Christ on the earth? Of course not. When the Apostle Paul had his awe-inspiring vision described in 2 Corinthians 12 verses two through four, his reaction shows that he did not consider it impossible for God to bring a man to visit heaven. Now some may fear, that this could be a change, quote unquote, but this would not contradict our previous understanding. It would simply clarify, clarify a point that we have not understood before. So to summarize this particular point, where is the wedding? On the sea of glass in heaven. And it says we will be there, and when the seven plagues are, poured out during the nine days between trumpets of atonement no one can enter the temple but the bride of Christ and Christ are already in the temple and so the setting is uh, there in Revelation 19 and verse 6 what happens then afterwards after the wedding well we turn to Revelation 19 and verse 6 and we find out the sequence of events that take place Revelation, the 19th chapter. We'll read again <clears throat> verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice, for the, give glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And that's what we're doing. And how we are doing that, we'll talk about a little later. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are they who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And these are the true sayings of God. Then John says in verse 11, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges war. And he's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Verse 13 and verse 14 and the armies in heaven clothed and fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, who are they? Well, that's the fine linen people that we talked about back here in verse, verse, verse 8. The saints are with him. Yes, Matthew 25 does say that the angels come along with Christ at that, sec, uh, that second coming as well. But yes, uh, we will be riding horses. And uh, that will be quite an experience we will share in the victory over the beast and the false prophet that he describes here in verses 19 through 21. So the battle of Armageddon takes place, as you read in chapter 16, uh, and Revelation 16, 16. So that is the sixth or the last of the seven plagues. So during that nine-day span, the seven days, seven plagues are poured out, and just before the Day of Atonement, We come back with Christ to the earth. And what happens? The beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. uh, Verse 20 and 21. Here in Revelation 19. And then of course chapter 20. Then Satan is put away. Well what does he put away? Well we teach every day of atonement. That he's going to be put away on the day of atonement. So. We uh, have written in our, our literature uh, several times, as uh, Mr. G- Mr. O'Guin wrote explaining this, the nine-day period, in the book of Revelation, unveiled at last, Mr. O'Guin's uh, booklet on uh, page 42. Most likely, the action described in the book of Revelation as occurring between the blowing of the seventh trumpet in Revelation 11:15, 15, and the putting away of Satan in Revelation 20, verse 2, will take place in a nine day span between trumpets and atonement. And I already uh, mentioned to you the, uh, referred you to the article, Mr. Wallace Smith, From Trumpets to Atonement, describing uh, the detail of f- prophetic events that take place during that time. So once Christ maintains that victory, and we share that victory with Him. Then, where will we be? We go to Jerusalem, as we as we learned, of course, in the Feast of Tabernacles, in Zechariah fourteen. All nations will come up to Jerusalem. Uh, Christ will be ruling from Jerusalem, and we have a vision of that millennial rule. And uh, Mr. Rob Tyler gave a sermon last week on spiritual vision. I wasn't here. My wife and I were up in uh, West Virginia. Uh, But we have the vision of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and we will be ruling, teaching, as we know. We'll be teachers. We'll be uh, judges. uh, We'll be uh, not only kings and priests, but we'll also be judges. We just heard the question about justice and the... Weekly Commentary by Dr. Douglas Fennell. Uh, where will justice come from? No, We will be kings, priests, and judges for a thousand years. And we have all the wonderful millennial scriptures of uh, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35, Micah the 4th chapter, Zechariah the 14th chapter. Uh, we realize, yes, we will be with Christ a thousand years. But what happens after that? Of course, we have the white throne judgment. And uh, that is one of the most awesome truths of understanding God's plan of salvation. And we understand it because we're keeping the annual festivals and the annual holy days. So we will be teaching all nations for a 1,000 years. And then, of course, comes the white throne judgment. And then we'll see what happens after that. But first, I want to reject before I continue to the end of the story to comment briefly on our preparation we read of course in revelation 19:7 the wife has made herself ready and we are preparing that day after day week after week so turn to Matthew 25 we've covered this several times in sermons but it's so vital to our preparation of the wife making herself ready. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Matthew 25, and of course it's a parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of, of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five were foolish, five were wise. And verse 3, those who were foolish took their lamps, had no oil with them. But while the bridegroom uh, delayed, verse 5, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And Mr. Armstrong felt that that was what he was doing, helping us to wake wake up and get ready for the second coming of Christ. Verse 10, and while they were went to buy, that is the foolish ones, because they had no oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were w- ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, and saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say unto you, I do not know you. Well, we've already discussed our intimate relationship with Christ, that He's our Passover lamb, that He's paid for us, that He is our master. We are our bond servants of Christ. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But He answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. So, what's Christ's message to us? Verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So we need to make sure that we are preparing. There are two keys here that Jesus gives us. We need to have oil in our lamps, meaning we need to make sure that we're renewing God's Spirit in us day by day. And then also that we're watching and staying alert to what's going on in the world and that we're sober, As it tells us in 1 Peter 5, be sober and vigilant, because Satan the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking, he may devour. I mentioned Mr. Weston's article uh, preparing the bride that the living church does. And he takes this issue, of course, of the churches of God who are just doing the, let's say, spiritual... um, common activity of uh, churches, rather than doing the Great Commission. Well, Christ said that we had to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all nations, and teaching them to uh, obey all the commandments that he, had, he taught us. And so we realized, yes, we need to be obeying Christ. We need to be doing the work. And we've mentioned so many times, if we are going to be like Christ, we want to have his attitude. We want to have his fruits as he is the vine and we're the branches. And tells us in John 15, verse 8 herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. But what was his attitude? We've said it time and time again. John 4, verse 34. My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And we've said time and again, Mr. Mr. Herbert Armstrong and uh, Dr. Roderick Meredith said they observed, and I think uh, all of our ministers have also observed, that those who have their heart in God's work are the ones who grow spiritually. And those, of course, who ignore God's work are not growing spiritually because they don't have the mind of Christ They don't have the attitude of Christ and the mission of Christ. And of course it tells us in Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. So the wife prepares by doing God's work and growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, So it tells us in 2 Peter 3, in verse 18. The final section I want to cover is the continuing relationship of the marriage of the Lamb and the wife of the Lamb. So turn to Revelation the 21st chapter and verse 1. Revelation 21 and verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also there was no more sea well what happened you hold your place there in uh, Revelation 21 and go back to Second Peter the third chapter 2 Peter 3 and you find out at the end of the white throne judgment the lake of fire covers the whole earth and the earth becomes purified by fire. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. No, God the Father is not going to come to a sinful earth. The earth needs to be purified before he comes down with the new Jerusalem. Those faithful people in Hebrews 11 sought a heavenly country, and God has prepared a city for them. And of course, that ultimately is the New Jerusalem. So we read here in Revelation 21 and 22 the description of the New Jerusalem. And you realize what the dimensions are a little puzzling, I think, to some of us when we think about uh, the dimensions. Uh, that are given in chapter chapter 21 it talks about the verse 16 the city's laid out of the square its length is as great as its breadth and he measured the city with a reed twelve thousand furlongs its length, breadth, and height are equal so it's uh, how long is twelve thousand furlongs? it was about one thousand five hundred miles so it's a little hard for us perhaps to understand a picture. A cube it would be a pyramid with a three dimensions, or a cube, of course the Holy of Holies was a cube. But imagine a city 1,500 miles high and wide coming to planet Earth. It's a little hard to comprehend, but it's going to happen. We have a spiritual dimensions in those particular times. But notice Revelation 21. What is that city called? Well, we already saw in the telecast, Revelation 21:7, He who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be as God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you what the bride the lamb's wife and he carried me away in a spirit to the great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy jerusalem descending out of heaven from god so we realize this the great city is called the bride or the wife of christ the new jerusalem and of course then the description is given in the following verses i like mr John O'Guinne's description over here of uh, summarizing the description there in Revelation 21. This is from page 44 of uh, Revelation Unveiled by Mr. John O'Guinne. Quote, Near the end of the book of Revelation, John describes the glory of this great city with its 12 foundations and 12 gates. The streets are of gold and the gates are each made of a single pearl There is brilliant color and light pervading everywhere because of the presence of the Father in Christ. Those who are part of Christ's bride will actually dwell in the new Jerusalem, Revelation 21 verses one through three, while those who come later during the millennium and the great white throne judgment will inhabit the remainder of the new earth. The rest of God's glorified family The nations of those who are saved, quote unquote, will have unfettered access to the Father in Christ as the gates of the city will remain open by day and there will be no night there, verses 23 through 26. They will have complete access to the tree of life that grows in the city and to the river of water of life, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 2. And so we realize, yes, who is going to be in the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, those who are in the first general resurrection. And as Mr. Oguin writes, those who come later will come, have access to the city, but they will be in the other parts of the purified earth. We have a telecast coming up uh, November 15th, I uh, believe it is, the new Jerusalem. Well, that might have been changed on the date. I'll have to check on that. But anyway, we realize that this is the Lamb's wife. And we have Mr. Peter Nathan here. I, I, I was impressed by a Bible study he gave here in Charlotte back in uh, August 12, uh, 2015. He said, the Father wishes to be with us. <laughs> you know, the Father wishes to be with us. So that will be the wonderful time when the new Jerusalem comes down from God the Father. And God will be with us. And remember, of course, even Christ's promise, now in Matthew 28, verse 20, "Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." In Hebrews 13:5, "I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Those are promises I claim every once in a while, and hope you do too. So read the last two chapters of Revelation and read our booklet on revelation the mystery unveiled who is going to be in the new jerusalem the philadelphians so we turn to revelation 3 just we are very familiar with it if you're an ardent uh, philadelphian revelation the third chapter verse 12 revelation 3 verse 12 he overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. So, brethren, if you're Philadelphian, you will have the name of the new Jerusalem. And you realize, yes, the Father in heaven and Christ have an awesome plan of salvation for all mankind, but is called the firstfruits. And those who are of the church of God, those who have been faithful saints all the way through the past 6,000 years will be in the new Jerusalem and be the wife of Christ. He said, the wife has made herself ready and we'll do that by completing the great commission so if you're a faithful philadelphian you'll have the name of the new jerusalem the city of god as the wife of the lamb so pray for the kingdom to come. let's be faithful in completing the mission that god has given us each and every day prepare for the marriage of the lamb our marriage to the savior of the world turn to the last chapter of uh, Revelation, uh, chapter 22. And we look forward to our Savior to come to the, save the whole world, and we will help Him to do that as well. So Jesus Christ is looking forward to His marriage. I, we look at it from our point of view, but look at it from the point of view of, of Christ. He gave Himself for the church, gave Himself for his future wife. He's looking forward to that marriage. So let us have an an attitude exemplified by the Apostle John here in Revelation 22. And Jesus says three times. For example, verse 12, Revelation 22, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And then he says in verse 20, he who testifies to this thing says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. And so what's John, the apostle's response? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I hope that's our prayer as well. And we realize, yes, we have some years to go. We still have the opportunity to experience the abundant life we still have the opportunity to recapture true values and learn how to teach the world the way of life, Was Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we realize, yes, we have an intimate relationship with the Savior of the world, our great high priest, and our soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords, and the bridegroom. But let's have the same response as John did. Even so, come, Lord Jesus and then God's blessing on all of the true church of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.